0: Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast from High Point Church in Madison, Wisconsin. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. My name is Nicole Kyle, and I am the Senior Director of Worship and Communications here at High Point. It is a new year. Uh, We're actually already well into the new year. Um, So, but with that, we thought now would be a great time. Uh, first of all, to have some new podcast music, which you probably noticed. So new year, new season, new music. Um, but more seriously, we thought it would be a great time just to remind you why this podcast even exists and, and what we're trying to do here. First of all, High Point is a church. It is our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ through connection, connecting people with God and with others, uh, through growth, helping people grow in understanding the gospel and knowing the Bible and through service serving the city and reaching the world. We're not a media company. We are not trying to have this big media conglomerate. We are a church primarily first and foremost. And this podcast is a part of how we're trying to achieve our mission. In particular, it's a part of how we try to help people grow. Um, pretty obviously, this podcast is called Engage and Equip, and that's what we want to do. We hope that you yourself are engaged with the gospel here, that the gospel would shape how you see the world around you, how you're going as a disciple in Christ, uh, that the Bible would inform how you think about everything you're dealing with, whether that's current cultural issues and hot topics, or if that's how to relate to your roommate or your spouse or your parent or your child. And we also hope that you are equipped. We don't just want you to have more information, but we want you to be prepared for whatever it is that God is calling you to do today or tomorrow or in 10 years. We want you to be equipped and uh, equipped to engage your community. We want you to be able to look at the world around you through the lens of the gospel and then be prepared to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, uh, the church of Christ to whatever people that God has brought in your life. So that's why we do this podcast. We want to help people grow. We want you to be engaged with the gospel and equipped. And like we say every week to be formed into substantive disciples for the local church. So we, we're so glad that you listen. We hope that these episodes are helpful. And if they are, we hope you share them. We hope that you talk about them, that it's not just that hour that you're listening, but that it's, um, a part of the rest of your life too. So happy new year, happy new music. Thank you for being here, and we hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Hey, everyone. My name is Hannah. I work here at High Point, and I'm joined today by Nick Gibson, who also works here.
0: Hey,
2: everyone.
1: In this episode, Nick and I will be talking about what we're calling our spiritual duty of celebration. So this is something that Nick taught about previously in two 2018 sermon series, as we had one fighting for joy. And another was...
2: Rhythms of Joy, I think.
1: Rhythms of Joy. So um, you can find those on our website. Definitely
2: definitely worth going back to in the lingering emergency-ish times we're in right now. Yeah. Fighting for Joy and then the Rhythms of Joy, I think is still super relevant.
1: Absolutely. Um, so highpointchurch.org slash sermons, and you can find the list there, or you can visit our YouTube channel. You can find the sermons there. Um, in those series, is we spent some time looking at the festivals that God instituted for the people of Israel, um, specifically festivals of feasts and fasting. There are, They happened throughout the year at specific times. They shaped the spiritual and social life of the people. Yeah, And God seems to have put them there very intentionally to train his people um how to live so they're not something that we are required to follow in the same way that the israelites are um right but they're still extremely instructive
2: for us by we you mean in the new testament christian period like post jesus we're not under the law part of the law is these festivals right and so we're not religiously required to follow them but the the concept of god creating a celebrating people Is kind of a big deal and it's and it's much missed yeah i think is key right because we don't
1: have these festivals that you know we have christmas yeah even in in, uh, like most like evangelical church life we don't really follow the church calendar in the sense of like we have advent we have epiphany we have lent pentecost all of these different things throughout the year
2: yeah and what's sometimes called the high church has to be like lutheran anglican roman catholic orthodox church they have a church calendar and built into it are these like are these festivals a lot of them are in it but the thing is is like if you were if you grew up roman catholic you wouldn't know <laughs> like you would be like oh yeah we had these huge parties every year that lasted a week mm-hmm. It, it's just kind of like what actually ends up happening in like the lutheran churches, that the the priest wears a different stole <laughs> and like the color on the color of the drapings on the altar instead of being green they're purple or white right
1: you get like white lilies on the and purple on the banners on yeah. the sides of the church yeah and yeah. it
2: means you're like in the festival of whatever but like like i grew up roman catholic and i knew there was a lent and i knew that there was a um there was an advent but I didn't know that there was a Christmas tide and Easter tide, and the Easter tide right. was like fifty days long. Like, like, but the priest would say we're still in the time of Easter. Mm. Like, like, if you go to Catholic mass, he'd say, in the, "We're in the third Sunday of Easter." But there was no, there was no sense that like we were still celebrating the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and that, how that changed everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so a lot, a lot can get lost in the ritualization of the mass can take away from its. Celebratory feel for most people in a a normal culture. It it doesn't need to, but I think functionally it it has. So,
1: what do you mean when you? I mean, it's one thing to look at these festivals and think, oh, I can learn some things from this, but you're calling as a duty that we have a duty of celebration.
2: Yeah. 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 I I think it's a duty. So, one, it's a really big deal for God. And I think that also the, the loss of it takes away from the visible glory of God. So, one of the things I never got. I I just got sick of so much in like college and high school is like people acting like we're the partiers and God is the buzzkill. Hmm. And that like, you know, if you really want to have fun, if you really want to enjoy yourself, don't be religious. Right. When in fact, what scripture teaches is that sin brings misery. Like if you, if you don't, follow the lord if you do what's what he calls wicked or sinful you're creating misery at least for everybody around you but generally speaking it's going to hit you too that like the life of sin is a life of unhappiness right it's not embracing what you were made for and it's harming everyone around you mm-hmm. whereas if you look at the at the bible there's there's basically two numeric rhythms you can look at one is work to rest and that's 6 to 1 so god is heavy on productivity light on idleness right he wants us to rest but not be idle he wants us to be productive creatures but when you look at the relationship between feasting and fasting celebration versus mourning if if uh if the count that i did when i did the series is correct as as uh nicole told us it's 82 to 1 Mm -hmm. it's 82 festival days to one fasting day and i think that's extremely clarifying about the attitude of god towards how he wanted our lives to be right right like Three weeks of it, three full week vacations in which you did nothing but celebrate, right? One year out of every 50, you didn't work at all, Hmm. right? Um, Every seventh year, you didn't farm. All that work was put aside for the year, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And then every week you had a full day of rest, you weren't to work at all and so on. And this is in like... I mean, this is in a time period where slavery was extremely common in the world, and the idea was that it was perfectly fine to make half of the population work every single day of the Mm. entire year. Mm -hmm. Like, if you were a slave in Rome, you worked every single day of the entire year. But if you were a slave in Israel, you still got all of these festivals. And so um, not only was there a conception of justice that God was building in to even, even like primitive structures of society that he was coping with at the time and revealing himself within, like on top of that, his his emphasis, that ratio of like 82 to one, man, 82 days of celebration, one day of fasting, I think is something that virtually, I mean, virtually no Christian in my church knew that before I preached it.
1: I remember that really standing out to me too when we went through the series.
2: Yeah, and so I think that, and one of the, so one of the things when I got to the end of that series, I was like, you know what we stink at is partying. <laughs> like, and I'm not saying that the world is good at partying. I think that they're good at spectacle. I think that they're good at like, taking time to go out and engage in revelry but i think that um i don't necessarily believe that it brings about the beauty of of god and of the pleasure people really ought to have with one another that continues to grow and doesn't take away like but i think that the church has kind of like we kind of lost that somewhere yeah and i think that it's really sad because this is the god who commanded he didn't just suggest he commanded celebration
3: Right.
1: I want to circle back to that, like what this looks like in the life of the church, um, but maybe it would be helpful. I know you wanted to touch on um, how this appears in Nehemiah as
2: well. Yeah. Yeah. So like Nehemiah is a great example of, so the, so just for the context for people. So there's several hundred years of, of the people are in the promised land. They have some leadership before kings and they have these kings that are really terrible. God sends them in exile. So they finally come back from this pagan land of exile. They're basically, Israel is like, trashed right and so slowly over like 40 years they rebuild the altar then they start to rebuild the temple and then they haven't even rebuilt anything in the city almost nobody lives in the city because there's no infrastructure so they've decided the next thing they have to build is the wall so they can at least defend themselves so nehemiah comes back and like starts this huge project of building the wall and people are just they're just so discouraged (laughs)
3: like
2: their lives stink Anybody can attack them. They've got like five different enemies. There's enemies outside the people of God. There's enemies inside the people of God. There's people trying to enslave each other. Like the rich rich people are trying to like live off the backs of the poor Israelites. Like they're not really working together even though they're working together. There's like, a, there's like false prophets telling Nehemiah to sin. Like there's all kinds of problems. And they finally get to this point where Ezra the priest shows up because Nehemiah is like a governor. He's like a political figure. Ezra the priest shows up. And so Nehemiah has Ezra read the Bible to the people because virtually nobody who's there has actually ever heard the Bible read, much less had one or read one. Mm -hmm. And so Ezra reads the Bible to people and they realize they've done everything wrong. Yet, coming back from Babylon, everything rides on the fact that they're hoping God is going to bless them, right? So they're they're like, they're doing all this work, they have all these enemies, and their only hope is that God is going to bless them. And then they hear what God actually commanded them to do, and they haven't done any of it. Talk about a buzzkill. Yeah. And they're like, oh my gosh, God's not going to bless us. We're going to lose. We're all going to die. Mm-hmm. Right. And so people start like openly weeping because they're like, God is going to abandon us again because he should. Right. Mm-hmm. But Ezra kind ha- of, Nehemiah has some kind of confidence this technicality because the day they're doing this is actually a one day festival called the festival of trumpets, mm-hmm. which basically the whole festival of trumpets is you make a burnt offering to the Lord. Everybody gets a horn and you blow them as loud as you can. It's like the festival of, it's, it's I mean, just, it's like make as big a noise as you possibly can. That's just one of God's parties, right? And, but that day is supposed to be accompanied by rest and celebration. And so Nehemiah gets up there and these people are literally starting to weep because they're, they're like their hope for the restoration of their society, their people, their families, everything's gone. And he goes, listen, you're not allowed to be sad today. Like God literally, like if, if you, if you care about obeying God, the reason you're mourning right now is because we haven't obeyed God. Let's start right now. And the thing we're supposed to obey right now is we're not allowed to cry hmm. because this is actually a, a a day of joy. And so the people are like, oh, <laughs> so he sends them all home to basically have a party. They're like, let's start by obeying God by celebrating. And then he says in, I think it's in eight verse 10, he says, because...
1: I can have the passage here if you want. Um, Nehemiah 8, verses 9 to 10. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those... And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength.
2: Yeah, so like the two things there. One is that he says twice that the day is sacred to God. And I think mm-hmm. most people are like, oh, sacred, so we should be very like sacred somber.
1: To, yeah, right. Somber. Don't raise your voice too much. Yeah. Don't enjoy it.
2: Right. And like basically he's saying the opposite. Right. He's saying because this day is so sacred, you need to party. <laughs> right. And, and by party, I don't mean like debauched party, but I mean like celebratory, loud, fun. Ex- right. Like, you know what I mean? Well, it's so,
1: sacred in this, like, would it be right to describe this as sacred being set apart? And God is the one yeah. who set it apart. He determines the purpose for which it was set apart. And the purpose for this day is joy. Is joy.
2: Right. Yeah. So for example, um, at High Point Church, we were planted by Fundamentalist Baptists like 60 years ago. And this was, this was like during the time of like rock music is of the devil and all that kind of stuff, which... Okay, that's not wasn't totally wrong, but one of the things that went along with that was just like throwing out dancing, mm-hmm. right? And so for like literally like forty five or fifty five years, there was no dancing at High Point Church, right? And when I when I finally came along, and we were like we're like, you know, they built the Micah Center, this huge like two million dollar extension on the back of the church, partly so that families at High Point Church would have weddings there. Mm-hmm. But if you wanted to dance at your wedding, if you wanted to really have a party at your wedding, you couldn't have it here at the church. You had to go somewhere else.
1: Yeah. I didn't have my reception here for that reason.
2: Right. (laughs) Right. And so part of the deal was like, I finally went to the elders. I said, I said, listen, this is, I think we have fallen into the wrong kind of conservatism here. Like I agree that encouraging drunken, normal marriage reception debauchery is not what we want. Like I get that, but we don't already don't allow, allow alcohol do we do we not believe that our Christian people people who are actually members of our church and they believe in Jesus and they have credible testimonies of regeneration do we really believe that they can't celebrate in that way and like it, that was hard for us because like you know some people are still going to do some stupid stuff like isn't that going to happen and
1: right you're going to invite some guests who don't necessarily right. have the same values and you can't control everything that they do and
2: yeah and so that was hard because like but at the same time if not you've just canceled celebrating at your church Mm -hmm. And for me, I was like, you guys, I think this is the kind of conservatism that, that the Pharisees struggle with. Cause see, part of my belief about the Pharisees is I don't, I, when I was younger, I thought they were just terrible people. And I don't think that anymore. Mm -hmm. I think they were people that were really trying to be faithful and they lost their way. And I think that that was happening with us. Right. And so I was like, look, I think we need to have some guts as elders To oversee, like elders are overseers. Maybe we need to oversee the celebrations, but there have to be celebrations. And so we started to pull this back and allow more dancing. At first it was like just swing dancing and stuff we would okay. And then I would okay song lists and stuff like that. This last weekend we had a dance here and it was, it was a dry, totally dry wedding. And so, but there were so many Christians and the Christians were controlling the the playlist and all that, that like people dance and there was like pop music and stuff like that. But man, I didn't see anything done and I was there for like two hours Mm -hmm. I didn't see anything I thought dishonored God and I thought the thing as a whole really honored his celebratory spirit right and so I think sometimes it's little stuff like that where where you have to say okay God God's thrust here his focus is joy celebration like whatever however we structure this the, the goal isn't just not to sin the goal is to encourage the festival right right and so um I, th- I think Christians have to have that in mind. Otherwise, we just we tend to withdraw back negatively and say, "Okay, what, what are we trying to stop here?" Mm-hmm. And I just think that's that's not enough, right? You have to have the positive of what are we trying to encourage? What are we trying to build? Mm-hmm. You
1: know? um, yeah, I went to a Christian college that had kind of fundamentalist roots, and we had a rule that there was no dancing allowed. But it was and then they had to adjust it over the years. So it's like. You can do like square dancing and like contra dance and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But besides that, you can't, you can only spontaneously dance. So like if like joy just comes upon you Mm -hmm. and you burst out into dance, that's okay. You
2: wouldn't be expelled for that. No,
1: like we understand sometimes you just can't help it for the joy of the Lord. But if you plan to dance then that's, you can't do that. So like if you have three people over in your dorm room and you're all just overcome by joy and you have to start dancing, mm-hmm. then that's okay. But you can't go to the dorm planning to dance. <laughs> so yeah. You get all these weird,
2: you know, yeah.
1: like trying to arbitrate these things.
2: Yeah. And listen, I listen. So I'm, I'm in my forties. I have kids in their late teens and like I get the kind of young foolishness we're trying to keep people from. Because because, like, I mean, Moses left the Israelites alone for a little while and they descended into like, oh, I mean, right. the language in Exodus is not, I think it's usually translated, they they ate and got up and engaged in quote pagan revelry. But the emphasis there is kind of like debauched, drunken orgy. And it's like real bad. And Mo, that's why Moses, Moses didn't break the tablets because people were dancing and they'd had a couple glasses of wine. Mm-hmm. You know? It, but that idea of, like, moderation and, like, like I just did a podcast on the Optive podcast with with Andy Schmidt about drinking. And I went through all the verses that talk about the good of wine. Mm-hmm. And then how every verse in the Bible about drunkenness is negative. And I was like, look, you got to shoot, you, you got to be mature enough and godly enough to shoot the difference here. And he's like, man, I don't know how young Christians, inexperienced Christians can do that. And I'm like, well, yeah. it's actually not that hard. I don't think. But... Sometimes I think if we've if we have a culture of of drunkenness and debauchery, like I mean Wisconsin's one of the drunkest states in the country, right you know we we have a pretty difficult culture, but I still think that the the response has to be to rebuild the culture, not try to engage in a prohibition
3: mm-hmm.
2: where what is it warranted
1: right right, looking back at nehemiah um if you read just a few verses more. They start talking about the festival of the booths, right? Right.
2: Because that festival of booths comes like right after festival of trumpets.
1: Right. And so I won't read the whole passage, but starting from chapter eight, verse 17, the whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was very great.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't know much about the Bible, Joshua was literally the one who brought the people into the promised land from Egypt. So from then until this is like more than a thousand years, about a thousand years.
1: I'll have to take your word for it. Yeah. I, I mean, so one
2: of, I thought one of the earlier dates for the Exodus is like 1400 and this mm-hmm. is going to be five something BC. So it's like maybe so, somewhere between seven and 900 years, depending on your date for the Exodus. Right. It's a long, long time. And this it says, I mean, from that first time, the very first time to this time, this is the second biggest it was ever celebrated that's pretty amazing right. and they they didn't have anything it wasn't because of their abundance it wasn't because they'd been successful it was because they trusted God and celebrated his festival and did it as faithfully as they knew how and they and part of that was like enjoying it Right. and they they were Happy.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking about their context where they're like in the rubble of their city, right? And he tells them go and get choice foods right. and sweet drinks. And I, I just imagine myself. I'm like, man, what have I got in my fridge? I don't like, I got right. nothing. What do we? Where yeah. you just get the choices you've got,
2: right? And and, you and, the, and part, enjoy. Of the, part of the assumption here is the wealthier people were going to bust out right what they had because right part of the idea here was is that these were one of the moments where there was complete equality right? Because the the celebration was supposed to be a public celebration. So if you were, if you were a slave or if you had nothing, you got to eat the same food and drink the same drink as the richest people. Mm -hmm. That's what the tithe was for, right? The tithe is distributed partly in these celebrations. So, and it showed how like in that sense, everybody was equal before God. Everybody had equal access to God's joy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that this, I think that those celebrations are fundamental. And so I think for us now, we need to recognize that we have to fight for joy right? It's not something that automatically happens. You have to know what and why you're fighting for it. You have to know that God is for it. He's behind it. He cares about it. If you believe that God doesn't care if you're miserable or not, then you'll feel miserable. Mm -hmm. But if you're miserable, if your religion is miserable, it's really helpful to know that God has revealed because a lot of people who are miserable about their religion are serious about their religion, right? They're like the Bible's God's word. Jesus is his Christ. Jesus was a suffering servant, and like somehow that creates an like an impression on their mind that God doesn't really care if they're happy. He cares about whether or not they're faithful,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and that's just those that that that's not a dichotomy. You can be a hundred percent faithful, and you can be filled with joy, and and I think if you don't experience the joy of the Lord, I I think there's something wrong with your religion, you
1: know. Is it cliché to quote the Westminster Westminster Catechism? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> to um, that, the chief end of man is to what is it worship God? And, to love God and enjoy, God and enjoy God, Him forever. To know God
2: and enjoy Him forever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that. I mean, Lewis talks about this, like the unblushing promises of joy in the Bible. Like that, God. I think this, this is this a way to glory or something, or his reflection on the Psalms, where he's like, if we were to, if we were to take what God says in Scripture and we were to say are we too serious or not serious enough about joy? We would have to conclude that we were not nearly serious enough about joy. I I think the metaphor he uses is that like we, we mess around like, like a poor kid in the slums making mud pies Mm -hmm. and we're being offered a holiday at the, at the ocean. And we would rather just, I mean, we keeping sin and rejecting God is like wanting to make mud pies in the slums and not wanting to go to the seashore. Mm -hmm. And he's like, we, we don't understand that we're, that the tragedy of sin is we're pleased with something that is destructive to our happiness and the happiness of everyone. So, and it would seem weird if God was was this all loving God, and His end for us wasn't joy. Mm-hmm. Why would His own end not be joy, and why would He not want joy for us, right? Um, and even if that was too philosophical, which I don't know that it is, He explicitly says in every way possible, He tells and shows that He is a God who's pursuing joy, even though even though our pursuit of it in, the, in under the curse can be like really painful and really hard, he makes it utterly clear that his end, his goal, what he will bring about is joy. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: So, I mean, one of the ways that you've described in Nehemiah is reclaiming joy, even in dark times, Mm -hmm. which is why, you know, you noted at the, at the start that those series is, um, were especially important for us now in a season where it feels like we've really come Come through, or are still going through, or are headed into dark times.
2: Depending yeah. on yeah, your I want to say when I did those. Did you say it was two thousand eighteen? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. COVID, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I tried to hand on some of these things when we got into COVID because, um, yeah, I think the darker the times, the more the actions of celebration are important. I mean, I think you you were quoting something you heard at a conference one time about that.
1: Yeah, I I heard at a conference that. um, Celebration is a practice of defiance against cynicism.
2: Yeah, yeah, I th- and and probably other things too, right? So against cynicism, like, and I think against, I think like just, um, gloom.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Just I, I don't want to say because gloom is the spiritual effect that we sometimes call psychologically called depression, right? It's the idea that like the darkness around you. Is something you you accept and give into, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think one of the greatest fights of every human life, like we talk about the moral fight, doing what's right instead of what's wrong. We, we talk about a bunch of different fights, like living in a way that's beautiful rather than ugly, relative to love. But I think one of the huge fights in a lot of people's lives is is accepting the darkness mm-hmm. versus fighting through it through the fog until you get to the sunlight. And whatever that is, whatever demons you carry, whatever difficulties it is, whatever depression that you suffer from, whatever. But but the, the, the Christian call to hope is just keep pushing through that fog. Mm-hmm. Keep pushing through that darkness until you reach the dawn or you till, you, till the, the fog is burned off to light. And I think the festivals, celebra- I think celebration can help us do that, mm-hmm. especially when it is put into a rhythm and it's ritualized in a positive way, mm-hmm. which is what God does in the Old Testament. But then he doesn't tell us explicitly how, how we have to do it in the New Testament. And I think that's where we're left a little a little um, open Mm -hmm. to failure is because in the new Testament, God gives us a lot more authority to decide how we're going to do things and tells, tells us that, look, if anybody tries to put these rituals on you and tell you, you have to do them their way, they're wrong. Right. So he opens, opens it way up to allow us to make our own choices. And yet there's, there's what's lost in that is, the positive legalism of telling us exactly what we have to do to be celebratory. But he knows that the gospel is going to go out to all these different kinds of cultures and all these different kinds of peoples. And we're going to really have to make up our own, but, but what, which ones, how, right? That becomes a new thing. And in a lot of ways the Christian church has celebrated the old ones Mm -hmm. and in the new Testament, new Testament makes clear we're free to do that, but it also doesn't tell us we need to do Mm -hmm. that.
1: So here's a question that I have out of my experience that maybe other people can relate to. Um, I feel like sometimes we're bombarded with so much, so many things that properly ought to be grieved in the world around us. that it feels in some way inappropriate or a betrayal to celebrate little things. Um, Maybe we experience this particularly in something like social media where like, how can I post Like I'm really joyful because my grandma got to come out of her nursing home and have Thanksgiving with us. And she's so lonely and I'm just so happy for her that that got to happen. Mm -hmm. And I just want to share that joy and that gratitude that God granted that. But at the same time, there was a school shooting on that day Mm -hmm. or there was a landslide somewhere. Or Or
2: somewhere in the world, somebody's grandma died of COVID that day. Right.
1: Exactly. So is it how do I celebrate those things either privately or publicly without feeling like I'm, it's a betrayal against my duty to grieve?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, man, this is one of those areas where I I, I hate to like make political applications of these sometimes, but it does. I mean, just like Nehemiah was a governor, these things do have political implications in terms of like how we feel as a people. And the the moment Nehemiah was living in and what he was governing over was more unjust than what we're living in right now. And yet he recognized that the celebrations were, were necessary to carry the people forward, right? And so if you turn your back on that which can be celebrated and must be celebrated, then you will be taken by the gloom of all the things we can be activists about, mm-hmm. right? So there there is a gloomy, cynical, um, pain-infatuated way of seeing ourselves as only liberators, without celebrating that we're livers we're we're people who live we're not just it's 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 sort of like the one of the one of the adjectives people used to use was warmongering that like people just always wanted to fight and they couldn't they couldn't ever rest in peace they couldn't just be like well i'm not fighting today Hmm. right um and i think that that's i think knowing knowing that your sword isn't always supposed to be in your hand Hmm is a really important human discipline. And I don't think that that needs to take away from advocacy, rightly understood and rightly done. And I think that in some ways, we are supposed to mourn with those who mourn, right? But but if you look at Romans, it doesn't just say weep with those who weep. Mm-hmm. It tells us to celebrate, to rejoice with those who rejoice. Mm-hmm. And, and to, so like, it's, it's not biblical to say you're trying to rejoice well don't you know that there's still slavery on planet earth and don't you know that like global warming is going to kill us all and don't you know that like sin is everywhere like don't you see that don't you know people are being abused right now Mm -hmm. jesus doesn't say that that should be our attitude he says when people are rejoicing over something wholesome rejoice with them be happy with them and then when somebody else is mourning don't tell them to shut up because you're supposed to be happy you mourn with them because what they're mourning about is probably legitimate too right yeah, I've but you can't this. mourn forever. Like right. you run out of emotion. Like you need you need to have a dynamic nature to your emotion. Otherwise, you just all, like you know. It's 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 to quote Stephen King. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if you want to be an advocate all the time, and you don't stop and celebrate, you, you're going to become a terrible person. Mm-hmm. Um, but if all you want to do is go from party to party to party, mm-hmm. you won't have enough moral gravity to celebrate. Right. Yeah. You
1: know? Right. I've seen this in my personal relationships with like, um, some close friends of mine who've really struggled horrifically with infertility. And that's just a grief that mm-hmm. they've borne for years. And then for me, when I got married, we were able to have a child pretty quickly mm-hmm. and easily. And, um, I think it was scary for me to ask them to celebrate that with me, Yeah, but I have such enormous respect for how they like they disciplined themselves mm-hmm. to celebrate that without ignoring their grief, without putting it away yeah. um, and without hiding it from me. Right. They right. invited me into their grief right? and they accepted my invitation into my celebration. And yeah. I think that's a discipline that I respect enormously in them. Right. Um, and it's the right thing to do, but it's not an easy thing.
2: Yeah. I think that's a really good example.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, maybe one other question that we can cover quickly. What would you say to people who think that this is somehow inauthentic or disingenuous to like, um, celebrate, to celebrate, right. To like, I am going to be happy on this day. Yeah. Even though I just got laid off and I'm really worried about X, Y, Z, or I just got this diagnosis, blah, blah, blah.
2: Yeah. Um, so one of the ways to think about it is just that the things that God is asking us or telling us to celebrate are objective and, and stable. So for example, if you, if you celebrate on, let's say July 4th, you celebrate American independence because you think it was a good thing that America became independent. If you got fired the day before independence day, mm-hmm. in some ways that isn't relevant to the celebration on July 4th. Does that make sense? So when, when these things were celebrated in Israel, what was being celebrated were things, for the most part, that were irrelevant. Now, um, the festival of booths was also a harvest celebration, and so was Pentecost. So there's a certain extent to which the celebration was tied to the fertility of the land, which would, be, which would vary from year to year. But things like Passover and trumpets and day of atonement and, and the festival of booths to a certain extent, because it was celebrating them coming out of Egypt— those were all stable and static and those joys can come into whatever your personal situation is. And sometimes that is the psychologically healthy thing to do. And the spiritually healthy thing to do is to say, there is a bigger joy than my present grief. Hmm. Right. And I think that that's meant to be sustaining to us so that we can deal with our present grief. Hmm. And the celebration of one is not the denial of the other. You
1: know. Yeah. I think when we were looking at the Advent series, Devin forwarded me something um, in which a woman shared a story from her con- congregation coming, she's from the Episcopal church. And so they do the like dark Christmas tide, like leading up to Christmas, all yeah. the darkness. We don't put up our decorations until midnight Christmas Eve, you know, okay. um, and the woman. was are
2: pretty serious Episcopal. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but the woman, her husband had died right around Christmas time mm-hmm. and he loved Christmas. And so it was especially hard for her to try to summon celebration around Mm -hmm. Christmas time. But she expressed that she was so grateful for that period of darkness leading up to Christmas because it gave space for her grief. And then it invited her into rightful celebration. Um, And I know, you know, holidays can be really hard for people who have experienced a lot of grief and loss around that part of the calendar right? right so um i don't we don't want to make people feel guilty for feeling sad on christmas because their mom or their husband's not there to share it with them
2: yeah but i, I do think almost a dissociation from that grief and to say this day isn't about that
3: mm-hmm.
2: right so let me give you an example of this um my dad had always wanted to have a daughter hmm I was, of the two of us, I was probably the closest, Um, but he never had a daughter and he was killed by a reckless driver seven days before my first child was born, who was a daughter. Mm. Right. And so like just two nights ago, my youngest daughter asked me how long my father had been dead for. And I said, well, it happened seven days before Abby was born. So however old Abby is, is about Mm. how long it's been since grandpa Edwin died. And it would be a huge disservice to my oldest daughter if every time her birthday came around, I was mourning my dad's death. Right. It w- wasn't even appropriate the day my daughter was born for me to be, to me to be grieving my father's death, mm-hmm. you know? And I know that my wife carried it heavily, but if I would have stood there at the birth of our first child and not rejoiced, mm-hmm. it would have wounded her terribly because, because the two are not related. They're right. related and they're not. Right. Right. That is that my daughter's birth was worth celebrating, even though my father had just died. Mm-hmm you know? And so I think sometimes, I think that's one of the reasons why people, that you get suicides and stuff around the holidays is that people fall into the gloom of their morning so much that they allow it. And I mean it, I mean that intentionally to say the word allow, because I think that this is part of fighting for or disciplining celebration is to put it aside. And I say this to somebody who has done it. Like literally this example comes up, you know, every year in my life, you know, and to say um, that's, that's not what I rejoice in mm-hmm. on this day, right and so when we get to Easter and Christmas and these things it's there's something bigger than whatever the more mourning mm-hmm. you know yeah. and I've seen that I've seen people with like terminal cancer rejoice in Easter mm-hmm. even though their life was being taken from them by a disease, by a disease they the, the fact that they could revel in the resurrection of Jesus the Christ actually gave them the strength they needed to face the cancer that was killing them, yeah you know. So yeah, I, I, think that, mm-hmm. I think that we can, I think that the ritualizing and structuring celebration in festivals, like times when we celebrate, I think that it can be helpful as opposed to times where people have to be sad.
1: So let's get really practical. What does it look like? Um, I wanna talk about for us in our personal family, individual lives, and also yeah. for us as a local church body.
2: Yeah, so two of, the, two of the words I use pretty consistently are rhythms and rituals, mm-hmm. right? So a rhythm is how you structure your time. A ritual is a way to celebrate something that is planned, that is ritualized, that is you do it the same, you have to reinvent it every time. And those actions are embedded with meanings everybody knows and can share together, right? And so I, I think one way to look at it is, is that um, rituals and rhythms save us from chaos and from ruts, hmm. right? So... Choosing what we're going to do rhythmatically and ritually allows us to like know where we are, where we're going, what we're going to do. And so we're not making it up as we go along because that's incredibly stressful. Like, like in my house, I take out the trash, right? It's not because Alexi and I shouldn't take turns. It's just because in your marriage, you just don't want to decide everything every time, right? So you make these standing decisions and they get put in a rhythm and they get ritualized so that your life works better. And I think you have to do that with joy and like celebrating. And when are you going to be happy? and When are you going to go out on outings as a family and all that kind of stuff? I mean, in, in some ways, that's what a budget is. Sure. You know? Right. And so I think if you look at it, like how do we push back on chaos to bring order and how do we push back on ruts? Like human beings are prone to create a rhythm and a ritual that is not chosen and that accords with the flesh or their weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a habit and then it becomes very hard to break. And over the course of your life, as you get older, it becomes even harder. Because your brain, your brain and your mind and your soul just gets more stuck, mm-hmm. even more than just habitually. It's just there's something even deeper than habit. And so I think that people should intentionally use rhythms, rituals, and traditions. In some ways, you could say traditions and rituals are the same thing. But so like rhythms would be like like we don't even know that the the week cycle is an incredibly deep rhythm, mm-hmm. right? And that came from God. And um, they tried to change it in France at one point, and it just did not work. They oh, were yeah. like, well, "Let's go to a ten day work week," and it just. Like people are having nervous breakdowns. It was terrible, (laughs) you know? And so this idea that we're going to work for six days, we're going to rest for one day or the annual cycle that like you go through these seasons and you like associate things with seasons. And I do this at this time of year and that at that time of year, um, like even things like in my week, I have an exercise cycle. My rhythm. I have. I like have an eating cycle during my days. My wife and I have like monthly menus. Like so, we we're not reinventing everything, and people get to look forward to something like this is coming. This this has already happened, and this thing is coming, and you're like situated in it, right? So you have these kind of rhythms, and you you have to pick those intentionally because if you don't pick a rhythm of this is what I'm eating when you get the rhythm of well, it's eight and I'm watching TV. I think I'll just have some ice cream, right? And that becomes a rhythm and a ritual just as much as anything else. It just becomes a chaotic and rut based ritual. Which is normal for human beings, you know. So and under rituals, I would say these are things that like you give your rhythm a very specific structure. So like if you have a quiet time, you're like in the morning, that's my rhythm. I'm going to have a quiet time. But when I do that, I'm going to sit here. I make my coffee right beforehand. Or I'm going to go to this room because it's the quietest. I'm going to like you built in this like ritual that like because part of it is like your mind actually Actually, is designed to function in relationship to your your neurology, and that functions partly in relationship to your associations with something. So, like, if you associate something with sleepiness, like you tend to get sleepy when you do it. If you like,
1: anytime I opened a book in my graduate studies, yeah, was very associated, very strongly associated with sleepiness.
2: Right, (laughs) right. And so, like, there have been times where like work has been really stressful for me, and if I if I walk toward my office, Mm. I start getting like. These like nervousness symptoms, like mm-hmm. stress symptoms, because in my heart, like in my like neurological heart, so to speak, I associate this place with stress, right? And so in some ways what your rituals do is you're, it's creating these internal associations of warmth or negativity and so on. And so if you, what you want is you want a positive and warm and celebratory association, association with your rituals. Does that make sense? Which means creating them and, and like putting them on your kids is a somewhat careful process. Right. Right. But one of the things I would say is um, the rituals that Alexi and I have been able to build into our relationship and into our family that it, we've been able to put forward positively that have structure are some of my kids' favorite things about our family. Yeah. So one of the things that they like would riot if I didn't do is the, the the Christmas morning treasure hunt. So, so we, so Lexi puts stuff in their stockings like for a month and they see their stockings grow and grow and mm. grow. And grow right? But on Christmas morning, when they wake up, those stockings will be gone hmm. and they will be hidden somewhere on our property. And there will be a series of clues that lead to clues that lead to clues, usually about seven clues deep with bonus clues and like sideways clues. So if they go to the wrong thing, but I knew they were going to go there, I have like another clue there. Um, and now they do it together. It used to be like everybody had their own set, Mm -hmm. but, um, but now I, I can make them drive places and stuff like that. you know. <laughs> so that allows Lexi and I to sleep in. And it allows her to get up and make the monkey bread and all that kind of stuff. On, and, and so our, our Christmas morning isn't rushed. Mm-hmm. So like instead of having kids banging on your door and like, say, when can we open presents? When can we open presents? My kids are on a treasure hunt. Mm-hmm. But it's their one of their favorite things Mm -hmm. about christmas and so that's like a ritual where they have to work together and they have to you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and so it's really fun for them and for them that's just this major part of christmas and it's part of the fun and joy and celebration it doesn't have a deep religious meaning yeah right one of the one of the other rituals that's a little simpler and more religious is um a couple of christmases i'm they everybody opened the same present before we opened our presents and it actually had a piece of coal in it With a note that says, you deserve nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and we all just like stopped and we're like, you know, we're celebrating the, the birth of Jesus, the Christ who gave yeah. us everything. Everything you're about to open, you don't deserve. What you deserve is this piece of coal. Mm-hmm. You deserve nothing. Right. And we you know it was like funny and people laughed about it and people made fun of our family over it. Like, like positively, you know, but they were mm-hmm. like, you guys are so silly but like my kids remember that they remember yeah. opening their coal and, and remember like they I deserve nothing and it was like a very simple ritual I I ordered for like five bucks I ordered like three pounds of coal online I have enough for like seven Christmases <laughs> and then I just and, and make and it's and of course you happen to make snowmen too and then and then I like I give them my kids and they receive this coal and it's like a really it's but it, 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 it's a ritual it's like it's it's like a, oh right mm-hmm. right Christmas I I deserve nothing and then and then we give them whatever gifts we think are generous. Mm -hmm. So um, I I think family meals are like that, that we sit down to eat at night or we sit down to eat breakfast in the morning or something like that. Family devotions are a kind of ritual, like things that you can instantiate and you can create in which people come together, especially when it's positive and joyful. Uh, One of Alexi's rituals is we do gingerbread houses every year around Christmas, which again, it's not a very religious event, but it's a ritual. We always do it together as a family. Everybody has their own house. We make them and then there's a little neighborhood and blah, 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 right? And, and it's like, it is a fun time together. Like even, like even on family vacations on family vacations, there's a certain family game called cover your assets that we play. And it's like, you can play anywhere. Cause it's a card game. You're waiting to go to a restaurant, whatever. And, um, but we play it and everybody kind of associates that with family fun. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So I think that, and the point of a ritual is to get you pointed in a good direction. Right, and so I, I really and I really encourage pe- people who are like like younger couples I know who are listening. To this is you're having kids like the sooner the better, the younger the better.
1: I mean, I think it would have been hard to send my fourteen month old on a scavenger hunt, but
2: yeah, yeah. But you know, bigotry of low expectations. <laughs> I you know? know,
1: I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, it's a joke, but I'm seriously thinking about like. First of all, my husband and I do not naturally like. We're just not inclined towards celebration and rituals and creating routines were both very like easygoing and oh it's our anniversary yeah I'm glad I married you I love you too (laughs) but um we just don't naturally do that kind of stuff and we didn't like inherit a lot of traditions from our families and so we feel like we're kind of in some way starting from scratch yeah um and like You know, we had one baby this Christmas. We'll hopefully have two babies next Christmas. And like, when do we start doing these things and what things do we do? And then Uh for our own family, we move around a lot. And what can we carry with us? And yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Advent wreaths are great to just light like candles and re- like just read the Christmas story out loud. It right. can be really great. But yeah, I, what I encourage people is, especially if you're in a church. But we want
1: to do the joyful ones,
3: right. right?
2: Yeah, if you're in a church, <laughs> like find out what other people do and copy them right. ruthlessly. Because I mean, there are some families that have come up with some like really neat, and sometimes you can't pull it off in your family.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But there's some that like you're kind of like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. I'm going to do that one. So
1: what about us as a church? Um, You know, you alluded to, like, from our church tradition, we don't excel in the celebratory arts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I remember when we were talking about um, our sort of congregational meetings Mm -hmm. and meals, and I was on staff and remember you coming to us and saying, how can we make this fun? Okay, this is of staff value. This is a value that we need to carry through. We need to make this fun. So what if we tried to do (laughs) today.
2: Yeah. So like one of the things we did it was was, so we were like, first of all, these are no longer potlucks, these are congregational feasts. Yeah. And now what's that gonna mean? So like a couple times what we did was we said bring bring like a like an ethnic historical family dish of yours. Mm -hmm. That's like very much like your family or your family background. Mm -hmm. And so we had a couple like ethnic nights, which was kind of fun because like 13% of of our church is like non-Caucasian ethnic. Mm ethnicity and then you have like all, but then you have a lot of Northern European ethnicities in our church. So Uh, there's a lot of like, Swedish meatballs, a lot of Swedish and German and and that kind of stuff, right? Norwegian. But then there was like stuff from India Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And then, then we had one where we're like, listen, this is a conversation piece. Bring your best. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be like an expensive dish, but bring a really good dish. Something that you like you, it's like one of the best things you cook Mm -hmm. and like really put some pride into it. And just even just that, made it cool It just made it like it made it fun right and then you could do i mean even if you have someone come up and like read a few jokes i mean just anything to make it fun rather than not fun Mm -hmm. right but i think um there are ways to formalize enjoyment and having like you know like sometimes people do contests Like, like on our block we have like a ribs contest Mm -hmm. every year and it's it's fun you go down and you eat ribs. and people vote. There's no reason you can't do that at a church, right? Right, and invite people from the community and stuff like that too. I mean, there's stuff, stuff you can do. I, I think like we've had we've had nights where we just we had like a icy truck that the church paid for, and games and like grills that were hot, mm-hmm. and it was like just come and just enjoy yourself here. Uh, we have a fall we have like a fall picnic where we raise money for the youth ministry, but we kind of go overboard with the food. And then we have like bouncy houses and yard games and nine square and a dunk tank. And it's just, I mean, it's not like a huge, crazy carnival, but it's like everybody gets to be together. They get to hang out. All the kids can play with them, with each other. And everybody has a pretty good time. It's usually one of our most attended Sundays of the year. Mm -hmm. And that has become a ritual for us Mm -hmm. as a church. And it's the closest thing we have to like a good party. Yeah. And then we've tried to do some other ones. Like we had a Christmas feast one year. We've done some other things where we've tried to like really make sure people have a good time. But I also think like one ritual of celebration is like in, this week we're going to have a worship night. Yeah. You know? And the I think the band is trying to put together some good music and some fun music. Right? Part of it is like our church tradition is the revivalist church tradition. So we just don't have a big history of celebration. Right? It's, it tends to be fairly fundamentalist and it tends to be fairly like preach it, people, tell them about hell and get them saved. Mm-hmm. And so to say, okay, how do we make this a fun tradition? It's like, you got, it's going to take some creativity, right? But our tradition doesn't just go back to 1860. Our tradition goes back to Moses. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have the right as a church to reach back as far as we want to take that which God has shown he cares about. And I think it has to include celebration mm-hmm. and not just a celebration of worship, which I think is should, should always be included in everything. Thanks, thankfulness to God. But like when you read like Colossians and first Corinthians and those sections, do everything for the glory of God. I mean, mainly what that means is be thankful towards God for what you're enjoying and enjoy it the way he would want, like love each other and mm-hmm. how you enjoy it. It doesn't mean you have to like overly make it overly religiousized. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and in that sense, just like fellowship at your homes with other mm-hmm. Christians, like you can have a Packer party and that could be a celebration if it's done in like thankfulness to God and love towards each other.
1: Right. In a non idolatrous way. <laughs>
2: right. Right. Assuming that's possible.
1: Yeah. Um, well every, we're humbled every season. so <laughs> especially
2: if we play the 49ers in the playoffs.
1: Yep. Um, uh, so I think, I mean, I think we're ready to wrap up. Yeah. Um, one, yeah. of, one of the themes in throughout the, Throughout Deuteronomy um, is remember, 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 remember. And that, you know, these festivals serve that same function. Remember, remember, remember.
2: Yeah. Almost all of them. It's linked to memory. Something that has been done in objective reality of the past that reminds you of God's faithfulness in the present.
1: And one of your notes that I came across was that memory creates identity. Yeah. And as people of God, our identity should bring us joy. So I think thinking about these festivals as a discipline of memory that reminds us who we are and that that's a thing to rejoice in Mm -hmm. I think is something that's really instructive for me personally.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So to summarize, I think joy is something that has to be fought for. Mm -hmm. Joy is something that God absolutely believes in and not just abstractly, but very concretely. It's, It's not just for God to say, and it's not just and it's not just for the future. It's not just God promises heaven, or that he's saying, Be happy. Like in his life with people, when he made a covenant with them, he structured into that these rhythms of joy. Eighty-two days of rejoicing, one day of mourning and fasting, right? I think that's really important to recognize that the God that we serve, even in the present, even under the curse, has made practical provision for us to pursue joy in the rhythms of joy, right? Mm-hmm. And then to recognize that as human beings under the curse, we fall into chaos and ruts very easily right? And that, and that pursuing an intentional pursuit of rhythms, how am I going to structure the times of my life and rituals? What are the activities I'm going to put into that structure of rhythm that will shape my life intentionally towards good ends so that my life is more ordered and more in more ordering of my character towards the good that will produce joy as opposed to more chaotic and more in a habitual rut that leads to the negative, to gloom and to sin. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And then to say, what are those rituals going to be? What do I, what rituals can I do together with people starting with the most basic of going to worship on Sunday, which mm-hmm. is supposed to be a ritual of celebration, right? To like, what feasts do we have? And when do we have celebrations? And maybe I should have some people over the house to have fun. And like, in what ways can we pursue having fun? And, and I think that like, there's a lot of families out there that are, that are working through the kid years and it feels like drudgery and misery. Mm-hmm. And it feels unspiritual to say, how can we make this more fun? Mm-hmm. And It's it's really not unspiritual mm-hmm. to sit down with your spouse or to think about like, how can I be a more fun spouse? How can I be more fun pastor? Yeah. How can I be a more fun kid in my family? How can I like bring joy in the places I go? How can I cause rejoicing rather than just seriousness? Like God, I, God is a God who, who believes in that. And mm-hmm. like I, one of the reasons why like I'm the pastor who gets like really serious and heavy about things. And then I like, I joke around a lot is because I believe that dynamic is very human. I believe that we're meant to laugh and groan and laugh and groan, mm-hmm. and I intentionally pursue that in my preaching. I want people—if you listen to me for 30 minutes—to at some point be like heartily laughing, mm-hmm. and then at another point be cut to the heart and be ready to mourn. You know, and I think that that the more that happens, the more we're human, and the more we're like Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think if people kind of take that with them and really fight for that in this like late, hopefully late COVID era. Um, we will be less lonely. Mm-hmm. We'll be less anxious. Mm-hmm. We'll be less depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, we won't be utterly free of all those things, mm-hmm. but we will be less bound, less crushed, mm-hmm. less alone, in all those things.
1: I mean, and speaking of being less alone, I think it's also good to remember what Jesus said ab- about feasts, right. like invite that, the lame and the blind and the yeah. Don't just invite the people who make you feel good, and will invite you to their party next month. Right. Yeah. Right.
3: I agree.
2: Okay. Well, you guys, thanks for listening. I hope this was helpful for you. One of the things that we find is review until we have it mastered is important. So we want to come back and again and again to things that I've taught in the last several years here at High Point that I spent a lot of time trying to lay out and to realize that growing spiritually isn't about hearing something new every week. It's hearing some of the same things and remembering them over and over again until they become part of our character, part of what we have mastered in our hearts so that they reshape our hearts so that we even feel rightly in spontaneous ways because God is changing us by his spirit. So I hope that I hope that you like this review. I hope you embrace it. I hope that when I say things that you're, you you believe you're already familiar with, you will realize that it's not till you get past boredom to mastery that you own the thing so much that it's part of you and that you can really receive its blessings.
1: Great. As always, if you have a question about this podcast or a suggestion for another episode, please don't hesitate to write us at podcast at highpointchurch.org. We really do love hearing those suggestions and questions. It means a lot to know how we can really serve and equip people through the podcast. And otherwise, see you in the next episode.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like those. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thank you for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.